We're just going to look at the first few verses in Joshua chapter 6. It says, The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times, with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. And the rest of that passage is really uh, an account of what happens. It just happens exactly as God says. Now, I want to say three things just as a word of a kind of introduction, first of all. And the first thing is, you, some of you will know that I used to be a teacher. Um, don't groan. You know, we've probably shaped your lives. You probably are the people that you are today because of us, um, which is clearly a good thing. Um, but when I was teaching, it was my practice to always kind of share key words with students. Um, particularly if those words were kind of new or unknown. But these aren't new words to you. But I've got two words. One is miraculous. That's my first word, miraculous. And the second word is silly. Okay? So two key words, miraculous and silly. Okay? So if you can just bear those in mind as we go through it. Um, if we really focus on the second word, silly, that's quite liberating for us all. Um, have you been in those sermons where you feel really convicted by what the person's saying? And you feel that you have to do something as a result of that conviction? Well, you won't feel that this morning because I'm talking about silly things. Okay, so you can walk away and dismiss it quickly. Because I'm talking about silly things. I guess the only problem is, is if it's something that God does, by definition, it can't be silly. Um, and if that were the case, then you might be under pressure. Um, and the third thing I want to do is I just want to give you a little situation to think about, to have in your head as we go through this morning. And the situation is this. It's, there's a, a smallest church in crisis. Um, it's a church of about 80 people. It only has a Sunday morning service. And after the service, one of the elders addresses the pastor and says, that's it. We've had enough. We're off. Me and my wife. Now, this is the elder that's responsible for the church finances. And there is literally nobody else in the church can do it. And equally distressing is his wife is the worship leader uh, and she's going too so the church is oh dear this is this is horrible and so the pastor gets the elders together quickly and says we need to meet on wednesday we need to think about this however on monday something wonderful happens a couple that have been coming to church for about eight weeks after discovering christianity course uh, get saved wonderfully saved um, and this, this couple are quite gifted. He's an accountant, funnily enough. Um, he owns a, an accountancy company, has 20, 
20 chartered accountants, and they deal with church finances exclusively. Wow, isn't that incredible? She, on the other hand, is a music teacher. She came second in the 2014 voice competition. She happens to play the guitar and piano. And I'll throw this in as well for the story. She also plays the harp and piccolo. <laughs> that might be relevant. And she's just a very gifted musician. And so the pastor has a chat with them on Tuesday and the Wednesday elders meeting is completely different because we had a problem but we've now got a solution because he's agreed to take on the finances and she's agreed to take on the music on the condition that you understand she doesn't yet have a big Christian repertoire. So you're going to be singing Kumbaya, Battle Hymn of the Republic and if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands just for a few weeks until her repertoire improves. Now just bear that little scenario in mind. Now let's get back to Jericho. This is a, a very interesting strategy that Joshua pulls out. And you know, if you're like me and, uh, well you're not like me because I don't think there are any other ex-drama teachers in the room, but if you've got quite a creative mind, I want to know how did Joshua um, deliver that kind of strategy to his soldiers. You know, you imagine that massive army of soldiers, these incredibly trained men of war. Their whole training, their whole life is about being a soldier and fighting. And these natural gifts that Joshua could have just utilized. And he says, This is how it is, guys. We're going to walk around for six days, just once, and then on the seventh day we're going to walk around on seven times and then the walls will collapse. Right? And then Joshua leaves. And do you know what the word they use? Silly. That is silly. Honestly, Joshua, that is a silly, silly idea. But it's, it happens exactly as Joshua is, is told. And it's interesting because people try and make explanations. I have a memory of, um, in the early days of my teaching, sitting in an assembly. And I used to hate sitting in school assemblies because some of the stuff that was said was just silly. Um, but this head teacher, for example, went through the whole of the plagues that Moses inflicted on Israel and gave a natural explanation for every single phenomenon. Now, I can't remember them all. I remember him suggesting that the reason that the River Nile went red was because the water went over stones that had iron in and they rusted and then they went red. And I'm thinking, really? I'll just stick with the original, you know, that it went blood. Um, and I also have a vague memory, years ago, of watching a TV program where they were trying to explain the phenomena of the walls of Jericho. And they'd done some research. And they found that marching armies can cause physical damage because of the rhythm and the pitch of their marching. And so they'd found this example, for example, where an army had marched across a bridge and because of their rhythm and because of their pitch, 
it had caused the vibrations in the bridge to collapse the bridge and the army fell into the water. Uh, it's a bit like you know running your finger over the top of a wine glass, evidently. If you get it right and you get the pitch right, you can shatter the glass. And that was the idea. But what we know is that this was just a miraculous event. And that God just did something that could not be done. There is not an explanation for it other than God did something miraculous. And I read something recently where somebody said, if you can explain it, God did not do it. If you can explain it, God did not do it. Now, I quite like that. You see, it, it, there's all kinds of problems with it, and don't think too much about it, um, because um, you'll find all kinds of problems with it. But I kind of quite like it. You know, if you can explain it, God did, did not do it. So this is a miraculous event. And the walls fall down, and the soldiers are able to do what they could do. And, you know, these sieges could go on for months and years. And in seven days, they've taken hold of a city. It is miraculous. Some people think it's silly, but it's miraculous. You know, imagine a parent and child on the parapet of the city looking down and saying, Dad, why are those soldiers walking around the city? And they're like, I don't know. It's just silly. Um, well, they won't find out it's silly in seven days. They'll find out it's miraculous. Now, this kind of event, particularly in, in the early stages of Israel, is recorded regularly. Some time ago, we did a series on um, different Bible characters, and I spoke about Gideon. And again, Gideon's an interesting character in um, Judges chapter 7. We find, and the reason I chose Gideon is because I've got a grandson called Gideon, so I thought I'll try and find out a bit about this Bible character that my grandson has been named after. And it's not very complimentary when you start off. He's hiding because he's scared in a wine press. So I'm thinking, oh, well done, Luke. You know, good choice of names. But he becomes an incredible soldier. But his key victory is against the Midianites. And it's recorded in um, Judges chapter 7. And again, he has an army an incredibly well-trained army of 32,000 men. But when they look at the Midianites, it is said that they were like locusts. In fact, the Bible says that even their camels could not be numbered like the sand on a seashore. There were so many of them. So even though 32,000 people sounds a lot, Against the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the others that joined, they were ridiculously outnumbered. And if they were to take them on and win, it would be an incredible victory. And as Gideon's thinking about it, God says to him, well, before we do anything, your arm is too big. And if I was Gideon, I'd be like, really? I mean, 32,000 against this lot. And God says it's too big, so let's reduce it. And so he says to the soldiers, if you're scared, go home. And they clearly are. 22,000 of them go home. 
Um, and it's hardly surprising because, I mean, the Midianites are like locusts. So Gideon is left with 10,000 people, 10,000 highly trained soldiers. And then God says, but that's still too many. I want to reduce it further. So go and watch people drink and people that drink in a certain way and we'll separate them. And he gets down to 300 people, 300 soldiers. And eventually God says, that's the right number of people. 300 people. And if you take that, um, if you read the story, they are victorious. 300 people against the Midianites. Now just sort of step away a bit and think, what kind of strategy is that? Well, it's silly, isn't it? If you think about it. And I was kind of thinking about this this morning. I was thinking, imagine this. Imagine that um, the pastors of the city in Bradford decide that they'd like to plan a big evangelistic event. We've not had one for years and years and years. And the pastors collectively are quite excited about doing that. So they, they plan an event, they're going to have it, they're going to book Bradford City Stadium, 24,000 people, for five nights, 120,000 people. They're going to get some big evangelist to come and do the campaign. And they begin to plan for it, they have a little committee. And when they've done all their planning, they work out that it's going to take about 3,200 people, volunteers, to make this event happen, which is quite a big event. But believe it or not, they get that number of volunteers, and so they get them into a stand, a stadium in, in the stadium, 3,200 people. And the leader of the committee says, thank you all very much for coming. Um, it's such a pleasure to see you all, but unfortunately, not all of you are going to be part of the team that will be leading this evangelistic campaign. So a few people are a bit disappointed. So he says, what I'd like to ask first of all is if you live in BD1 or BD2, will you remain seated? All the rest of you, would you stand up? So everybody other than the BD1, the BD2 people, stand up. And he says, I'd like you to leave, please. I'm sorry you're not going to be part of this campaign. So 2,000 people leave leaving a thousand people to do 3,200 people's jobs. And then the leader of the campaign says, I'm sorry guys, but this is still too big a number. So can I ask you, if you are left-handed, to put your left hand in the air, please. So they, they do. And he says, thank you. Can the right-handed people now put their hand in the air? So we put our hand in the air. Could you stand, please? And so we stand, and he says, I'd like you to leave, please, because unfortunately you won't be part of the team either. So they go, and believe it or not, they leave 30 people. That's all, 30 people. And he says, thank you very much. That is the team for our event. And someone's going, that is silly. That is silly. 30 people doing 3,200 people's jobs. That is silly. Well, it's not silly if God asks you to do it. It's not silly if it's in the Bible. Because 
Well, Gideon explains it very clearly. If you look at Judges chapter 7, he gives us exactly the reason why in verse 2. So if you look at Judges chapter 7 verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel will boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now I find that quite shocking. What Israel would boast, we have defeated the Midianites. But to eliminate any possibility, we are looking at a miracle. Because when God does a miracle, he is glorified. Now, I was thinking about this this week as well. Is Imagine that you are asked to teach a course at a Bible college. And you're asked to do a 10-week, one-hour session. And your course is this. The 10 key Bible verses a Christian should be familiar with. The 10 key Bible verses a Christian should be familiar with. So over 10 weeks, you're going to look at 10 different verses. You might want to do it. What would be in your top 10? What would be the things that you think unequivocally people should know this verse? Well, I'll tell you what would be in my top 10. Don't know quite where it would come, but it'd be pretty high up. Turn to Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 9. Isaiah 42 and verse 9. Or verse 8, sorry. Verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my prayers to idols. That would be my top 10 verses that I think Christians should know. That God will not share his glory with another. That's why if there was the possibility that Israel would boast that they had delivered them or they had killed the Midianites, God eliminates that possibility. So that when they do it, it is clear that God is at work. Because God will not share his glory with another. So that would be my kind of top ten verses. And whilst I'm thinking about it, just turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And towards the end of that passage, in verse 26... We read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Let's go on to verse. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that, there you go, no one may boast before him. You see, God is, is passionate about being glorified. In fact, it, that's the first sentence, isn't it, in the, in the catechism. Man's chief aim is to enjoy, enjoy God and glorify him forever. And we are glorifying God when we are often operating within the miraculous. Now, what conclusion you come to about the natural giftings that people have is yours. But God didn't use the natural giftings of the Israeli soldiers against Jericho. And he didn't use the natural giftings of the people that took on the Midianites. And the reason he doesn't sometimes is because you are then operating within the miraculous. And when you operate within the miraculous, God is automatically glorified. Now, you know, think about the church that's in crisis. There's an alternative announcement that the pastor could make on Sunday morning, which is, um, as you know, Peter and Jenny have been saved this week. Woohoo! Everybody gets excited in a very conservative way, but it's quite a miraculous thing when people get saved. Um, and as you know, Peter's a very talented accountant, very good with finances. Unfortunately, he's tone deaf and plays no instruments, but he has agreed to take on the worship. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Um, what did we call the woman? Jenny, did I say? Oh, good, I just made that up, so um, I won't be a good... Con man, because I can't remember what I've said. So Jenny took 10 attempts to get her GCSE maths. She doesn't know what a spreadsheet is, and she laughs about having to have her husband deal with her personal finances. But nonetheless, she has agreed to take on the church finances. Woohoo! And we're all really excited. We all feel safe and secure. Well, that's silly. Isn't it? Oh, but we have seen some silly things already in the Bible. It just makes you think about how God wants to use people. And I was thinking, um, you know, imagine a new church have got a new pastor. And so the pastor takes the church away for an away day because he wants to get to know the congregation and he wants to find out what they are thinking about and what they like doing and so the first activity it gives them is it gives them a sheet of paper it's divided in half on the left it says i like and on the right it says i don't like so everybody's scribbling down the things that they like to do and the things that they don't like to do and then jenny will stick with her she's given the task of compiling this into a spreadsheet and then they take it to the elders meeting because what they want to do is think about how you plan the ministry teams. Now, uh, I've been 
you know, I shouldn't really admit this, but I, I've been given access to that sheet. Um, so please don't tell anybody that I've got it, you know, but obviously it's here. And so it's all the things compiled together. So under Peter, first of all, I like DIY. I don't like public speaking. So the pastor says, um, I think we should put Peter on the premises team. Everybody agreed? Aye, 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 aye. Good. Premises team. Janet. I like children. I don't like singing. I'm tone deaf. That's a bit of extra information she's added for us, which is helpful. So the pastor says, I'm suggesting that that person goes to the Sunday school team. Aye, 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 aye. Good. That's agreed. Kath likes baking she doesn't like cleaning i'm suggesting we put her in hospitality yes all agreed stephen loves numbers he hates children <laughs> i'm not sure within the church context you should be writing that but anyway that's what he writes and so it's agreed that he's part of the finances team Caroline, she loves singing and playing numerous instruments. She dislikes any kind of finances. So she's on the music and worship team. And Gareth loves public speaking, but he hates cooking or baking. And so it's agreed that he's part of the preaching team. So there you have it. Such a, a simple, we've got the ministry team sorted out. Apart from... This pastor's a bit unusual. I don't know who he would take after, but he sees things slightly differently. And so he suggests that rather than putting people in their place of likes, he puts their people in the place of their dislikes. Oh, that's ridiculous. I mean, who would want to attend such a church? Because didn't Jesus say, I came that you might have life and then live within your comfort zones? Um, so they, they go through the list again so Peter he likes DIY he hates public speaking so we'll put him in the preaching team oh Janet she loves children but she hates singing we'll put her in charge of the music Kath she loves baking she hates cleaning or we'll put her in the premises team Stephen loves numbers but he hates children Sunday school Caroline loves singing and she doesn't like finances, finance team. Gareth loves, loves, loves public speaking, hates cooking or baking, hospitality. Now, of course, that would be very silly. But God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Now, you're sitting there and you're thinking, this is very easy to dismiss, Jez, this morning, because it is just so silly. But what I'm trying to suggest is that when God takes hold of somebody and takes them out of their comfort zone, he doesn't do it to make them fail and to watch them struggle. He does it because he wants to supernaturally empower them to do something that they are not able to do so that God is glorified. And that when God takes hold of somebody and takes them out of what they naturally feel comfortable in 
and empowers them to do something that they wouldn't naturally choose, God is glorified. Now you might say, yeah, but God is equally glorified when he takes hold of somebody who has a natural gifting and takes hold of that natural gifting, sanctifies it, and through that process of sanctification, holiness, God is glorified because of their natural gifting. And that's true as well. But what I'm trying to suggest is that when God does things that are miraculous, you have to acknowledge that only God can do that. Now, I loved it this morning when we sang, Our God Saves, because I passionately believe that. And I passionately believe that when somebody is saved, it is a miraculous event. That when the Holy Spirit brings up alive a person, it is truly a miraculous thing. And that's why I think when you hear that people are, so, are saved, we ought not to be reserved about that. We ought to be deeply excited that we have a God who saves and that he still does the miraculous. But I just have this deep kind of inkling that God wants to do the miraculous. And part of the miraculous is when people step out of their comfort zone and trust to God that we, he will empower them to do what they cannot do in themselves. So that when God uses them, God is glorified. Um, and it's just a simple thought. And with that thought is this, you know, how do you make sure particularly if you are operating within your natural giftings. So it's hardly surprising that I'm speaking because I was a drama teacher, I was a head teacher, I've done that all my kind of life. It's hardly surprising that I'm doing this now. But how do I make sure that God is glorified through what I do? And how do I make sure that people don't draw the wrong conclusions, which is that that is a person who is trained to speak? Because that would be the horrible conclusion for us all. It's how do we know that when we do stuff, God is glorified. I remember a story years ago about a Christian who had worked in the same factory for 40 years, and as had most of his colleagues, actually. Um, but he never kind of shared his faith. He just passionately believed that if he lived out his faith and was kind and loving and gracious to people, they would understand that he was a Christian. And so um, as he leaves the, his final day, his colleague says, I, I've watched you for 40 years and I'm just deeply impressed with the way that you are and the person that you are. And I just wondered, are you, by any chance, a vegetarian? Because there is that possibility that people draw the wrong conclusions. That they see gifted people coming to the church and then their natural giftings get sanctified and get used by God. I understand all that. But there's also the possibility that people will say, 
that's a naturally gifted person using their gifts for God. And maybe that's okay. But I think there's still room for somebody operating outside of their comfort zone. Somebody operating outside of their natural giftings. Offering themselves to God to do something that they couldn't possibly do without God's help. And then watching God do the miraculous and being glorified. It's just a possibility. It would be miraculous. Or perhaps it's just very silly. But fortunately, you can make that judgment this morning. And I'll stand at the back of the door. And if you walk past me and just go, Jez, that was silly. I'll be okay with that. Because you're entitled to make up your own judgments. So are you going to come back or? No. Okay. Um, I'm going to pray and then we'll finish the, the service. Heavenly Father, we thank you that our Bible is littered with stories of you doing the miraculous. We think of little boys who come with five loaves and two fishes and, and so many people that just offer themselves to you and you do these incredible things. And Father God, I thank you for the, the gifts that people have, for the gifts that you empower people to have. And Father God, I pray that perhaps you'd open our minds to the possibility that you would like to empower us to do something that naturally we would struggle with, that something that we would naturally not choose to do, but knowing that if we put ourselves in that place of vulnerability, and knowing that ultimately in your arms there's no such thing as vulnerability, it's safe whatever we do, that Father God you would empower us to serve you and to do things for you but ultimately Father whatever we do whether we operate out of the miraculous or whether we operate within our natural giftings I pray that you teach us how to make sure that you are glorified in all that we do in the name of Jesus Amen